Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Well, today we're going to have a look at the Melbourne and regional Victorian property markets. We are very fortunate to have a special experienced and highly regarded property expert, Kate Bakos, is going to help us do just that. Now, Kate is a licensed agent. She's a buyer's advocate and a property commentator and is regularly featured on national media, including right here at Realty Talk. She's also a regular guest speaker at property events and has won multiple awards for her outstanding achievements in the industry. Kate has a wealth of knowledge and experience when it comes to the Melbourne and regional Victorian property markets. That's where she spends most of her time. And she's also well known for her ability to provide insightful and practical advice to buyers and investors alike. Today, Kate is going to be sharing with us her insights and analysis of the current state of these southern markets, including recent trends emerging opportunities and potential challenges. I can't wait to hear what Kate has to say, so stay with us. Kate Bakos will join me in just a moment. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation free quote. Well, let's get underway. And joining us, as I said in the introduction, is Kate Bakos. Kate, how are you doing? It's lovely to see you again. It's been a little while. It's been so long since we connected. We did that great series over Christmas. Um, yeah, that was fun. Which was, yeah, a lot of fun. So thank you for that. Some wonderful wonderful insights and that's what I want to do is talk to you about Melbourne and Victoria um we'll be doing this we'll have a look at Sydney next week and then Brisbane the week after but right now I just want to focus with you on Melbourne and Victoria which is really where you're very heavily focused yeah so Kate how would you describe that current market uh, right now so let's say Melbourne firstly and we'll, we'll have a look at the regional markets next time next segment of course look Melbourne is a little bit different to last year. We're hearing a lot in the media. What's What we're feeling on the ground though, Kevin, is very, very different. We have a stock shortage. And in fact, if, if we look at the national figures, the figure is in my mind because it was etched in there. I was so surprised by it. But we're over 24% down on new listings when we look at the five-year average. So we've, I guess we've been spoilt for the last few years, even though we've been riding the storm with with lockdowns, we had more stock. So what's happening now is there are not necessarily lots of buyers out there, but we've got um, much smaller numbers of properties available. So our supply and demand ratio has changed a little bit. Any buyer who's trying to buy now will be reporting the conditions that I'm experiencing, and that is most good properties are facing hefty competition. And it's a segmented market as well, which I'll talk to you mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Just on that point, if I could ask you about stock, is it a reluctance on behalf of sellers to, to list at this time? I mean, have they got 
a lack of confidence in the the market doesn't seem to have fallen very much Kate no look for for all of the the scare and the fear out there it hasn't fallen that much and we've got to remember that the figures that are reported are median figures so you've always got types of properties that are in high demand we've got segments that have performed that have had positive growth only small segments but they're there what is happening is vendors are not confident with the the market that they're facing and probably because of the headlines. And also, Kevin, we can't forget that particularly for Melbourne, which was the lockdown capital globally, which sounds awful, um, people made decisions. We saw a lot of decisions. So for all of those vendors that were thinking about doing something, they made decisions then. And so when you've had all of that, that sales activity kind of pushed forward, you do also sometimes find that you don't get as much activity after the event. So they're the, the two main causes, I think. We're watching auction numbers too each week and, uh, you know, we're noticing, I think it was last week in, was it Sydney? Sydney had a tremendous um, yes. turnaround last week. How, how's the Melbourne market looking in terms of both buyer and seller confidence in auctions? We've got mixed buyer and seller confidence depending on the type of, of dwelling and where it's located. So for all of the higher income earners where borrowing capacity isn't necessarily a key concern or where you haven't got a lot of first home buyers who are the most jittery and understandably they haven't been through interest rate rises before, we've got those markets with experienced or sophisticated or high income buyers. Properties, Good properties are selling well. In fact, I had two auctions in a row. I thought I had very strong budgets for each because I had very emotional owner-occupier buyers, but we missed out on both of them. We had multiple bidders, and that's a hallmark of a quality property in an area like that where you're not exposed to those jittery buyers. But if we look at townhouses and and typical first-home buyer stock and certainly fringe um, suburban stock, it's not the same thing. And agents are savvy about this. They're not necessarily taking a property to auction when they've got a marketplace that is jittery. And instead, the clever tactic that they're applying is running expressions of interest campaigns, which still have an end date and probably a campaign length somewhat like an auction campaign, maybe three or four weeks. They're giving the campaign enough time to get buyers through, but they're giving the buyers an opportunity to put forward an offer that's subject to finance or subject to whatever they're nervous about. So for the vendor, it means that they're getting multiple offers. They might get an unconditional offer, but they've got competition there to drive up. Um, the price for them. See, it's our private treaty method, isn't it? I mean, uh, it is. in, a, in a market like Melbourne where you're so used to auctions, how, how are buyers reacting to that? I mean, it can be quite scary, especially when you're knowing in, you're going into competition. At least with an auction, you can see your competition. But, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're blind bidding like that, you can't. You're absolutely right. It is difficult for buyers. They've got to decide what they want, really, because sometimes a buyer will trigger one of these blind auction um, scenarios and then they find themselves guessing what the competitor might put forward. But I think for a lot, it's a welcome reprieve if they are contingent on having a finance clause. It means that they can actually move forward with confidence. And if if they feel that they've paid too much and the bank agrees, well, maybe the sale won't go through. But it, it is one of those scenarios. And the agent's know well when to apply it and when not to Mm -hmm. in the inner ring locations with nicely presented and renovated properties, whether they're family homes or single fronted terraces, the agents know when to run an auction campaign. And when they get it right, they have a wild auction. Those tr- that trust factor between the agent and, and particularly the buyer in, in a scenario where you've got multi offers, um, it's, it's sometimes quite, um, quite treacherous because yes. 
you know, a buyer's, well, they just don't trust the agent. The agent says, well, you're in competition. Oh, yeah, sure. Here we go. Here's the spin. Um, So it really is a balancing act. What are you hearing from agents about it? Oh, look, there are some agents that that you shouldn't trust. Uh, But ultimately, if you've had good dealings with your agent, you have to understand that if they're telling you they've got multiple offers and you you lowball it, they won't come back to you if it's if it's one best and highest kind of offer. The agents are telling us about buyers that are lowballing or perhaps standing back and thinking that they're bluffing. And there's nothing worse for an agent than someone assuming that they're bluffing and, and they know that they're going to deliver an unwelcome phone call the next day. But at the end of the day, if the buyer likes the property, the best thing that they could do is some thorough analysis, work out what it's worth, put forward an offer that is representative of how they feel about the property in terms of how suitable is it and how frequently does one like that come up? Because if they're only coming up twice a year, you've got to factor that into your offer. With a bit of advice here for buyers, I guess, um, when they find themselves in a multiple offer situation, I know in different parts of Australia, there's a requirement by the age, not a requirement so much, but you know, good practice dictates that they will give a document to say you're in competition and therefore your offer, you know, needs to be your best and final offer. Does that happen in the Melbourne market? Just a a bit of education for buyers. How does that work? Yeah, look, the the thing about a private offer is you are, it's all up to the agent. You're bound by their rules. Unlike an auction where you've got auction rules and they're consistent, they're legislated, private sales aren't the same. The only thing the agent's bound to do is obviously all of the the paperwork related things and you know they've got to present you with the contract they've got to disclose material facts uh, they have to present all written offers to the vendor but there's lots of shades of gray and I hate using um, that phrase but it's true if an agent decides it's best and highest or you can have a second crack if you're the first person that, that puts forward an offer they often do that or if they're deciding to have a zoom simulated style auction it's totally up to the agent. Mm-hmm. So the best thing the buyer can do is understand the agent's rules of the game before they put forward their offer. Because if it's best and highest and one shot only, there's no point dithering around with a, a low ball offer hoping they'll come back and negotiate. Mm-hmm. But likewise, if they tell you they'll come back to you, it's all right to say to them, when can I anticipate hearing from you? And I'm confirming that if there's an offer that's higher than mine, you will come back to me and I I will have another opportunity. You've got to ask all of these questions so that you're absolutely crystal clear mm. on how they're going to handle the it's campaign. very, very, very good advice, particularly that last point about, you know, getting an assurance from the agent that if there is an offer better than mine that you'll come back and give me an opportunity, which, you know, from an agent's point of view, the agent will instantly say, okay, there's more money in this buyer. So you, you, yes. you know, you've got to balance that up too. You've got to it is a tough balance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as an advocate, you know, it's easy for us to say, look, I believe this is my strongest offer, but I don't want to have any bad blood with you or my client. I'd really like to hear from you. If, if you feel that you've got an offer that's stronger than this, I want the opportunity to have the conversation with them. That That's a really nice little kind of decoy, but um, it's, it is a tough one because you don't want the agent to think that you've got more, but you certainly don't want to put forward an offer that's not your strongest and then be remorseful about missing it. Keen to talk to you now about um, the difference between units and houses. What, what's the So the recent changes in interest rates and, and lending criteria, how have the banks reacted to, to that? 
Well, the banks have applied the increases, which we'd all expect, but what, <laughs> yeah, what right. they haven't seemed to be doing as far as I've noticed is we haven't had valuation shortfalls, or certainly I, I haven't, and that's one of those those dreaded things that you sometimes face in a market that deteriorates, and especially when lender scrutiny is really strong. You pay a certain price tag and a valuation comes in lower. That's not a happy Christmas present at all. No. So I haven't been seeing that. But in terms of um, lender appetite, the lenders are hungry. They're they're all experiencing um, lower customer numbers. The profits are high, but they aren't doing as trend. Well, they're certainly not um, having as many deals as they have in other years. And first home buyers, investors, um, everyone's come off a little bit. The majority of of the activity that lenders seem to be doing at the moment is refinancing, which you could imagine. But that's a bit of musical chairs where people are shuffling from lender to lender. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of appetite for houses and units, it's it's been pretty consistent. Lenders will always scrutinise a property that doesn't meet their um, their criteria. So if it's the wrong zone or the floor plan's too small. But otherwise, Kevin, I haven't seen uh, lender scrutiny on, on dwelling types between houses and units. No, fair enough. I want to ask you in a moment about um, your tips for anyone looking in the Melbourne market right now. But before I do, just an insight from you, if I could. What, what do you see for the Melbourne market in the next five to ten years? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, pull your, pull your Come on. <laughs> I'm I'm a Melbourneian, so let me let me say that there's there's always a little bit of natural optimism and and dare I say it bias, but not through um you know any willingness to try and mislead people. I just believe in my market, and I've been an investor in this market for over twenty years myself. Melbourne is one of the those cities that um tends to have a more consistent. Um, line when you stand back and, and look at the chart, if we compare it to other capital cities, the lull periods that other capitals have had, uh, we haven't really seen in Melbourne. We've, we've had our share of downturns, but they tend not to to last for very long and go too deep. So I've I've got absolute optimism for the Melbourne market. We've been um, really knocked about with the lockdowns and and what we all went through, but we've got a lot of new arrivals scheduled to continue coming and we've also got some exciting very nearby regions so the way that we're um, spreading around people and jobs is is really interesting and we've had an enormous spend with our infrastructure so I think rail amenity including linking the airport will certainly do wonders for our city Uh, I think our cool climate will continue to to draw a crowd especially as temperatures seem to get higher but I think overall um, our our employment offering and the fact that we're um, certainly letting in a lot of new arrivals for quite a while um, I think that will hold us in good stead Kevin. I'm not going to ask you to tell me the areas someone should look because really that's somewhat of a silly question because uh, you know people are going to look where they they want to live basically Uh, but I will in a moment ask you about areas that Probably buyers should be a little bit wary of, not necessarily not buy there, but really do good due diligence. But before I do that, can I just ask you um, um, what advice you'd give someone if they were looking right now to buy in the Melbourne market? It's a difficult one for buyers. I'm asked this question every single day. Is now a good time to buy or should I wait? That's the theme of, of 2023 so far. We probably have interest rate increases in front of us. I don't think we've quite reached the no, equilibrium right. cash rate yet. That's How many good. more increases? We don't know. Bond yields suggest that it, it will be under four. I've 
read articles saying that bank economists in Australia are tipping slightly over four. None of us really know, though. And as we get closer to that point of equilibrium, there are buyers that are going to continue having their borrowing capacity constrained. And so they will potentially be disappointed that they miss out on on being able to buy what they want in the market. They're having their budget downgraded by third party. But then there are buyers that don't necessarily have any budget constraint with the rising um, interest rates. So they're the buyers that are sitting on the sidelines saying when that bell rings, when when equilibrium strikes, when interest rates stop moving, I'm going to then jump into the market. Now, there are a lot of those people. If they all jump into the swimming pool together, well, we know what will happen to the water level. And I think that people need to be mindful of that. If we do get a, a rush of people, you don't want to rush with the herd. You'd rather be in front of them. So we've got two forces at play, competition potentially jumping in and also borrowing capacity being constrained. I would think about what I was comfortable to spend knowing that the bank are applying buffers to their assessment rates anyway, which currently is a 3% buffer rate. If you feel that you can jump into the market now and get the product that you want, you might look back in a year's time and say that was a a great move. So buffer, buffer, just build that buffer in. Work out what your repayment schedule looks like and be comfortable Mm. with that, knowing that there could be another, however many basis points applied to your loan. But if you're waiting for the bell to ring and for everyone else to jump in, it might push prices up. So you're really working against that happening. But also if, you're, if you've if you got a borrowing capacity constraint, you've got the clock ticking. The next time there's a, a rate increase in the bank supply and increase to the interest rate, you'll have lower um, a lower price point. Okay, so let me ask you now about the areas probably that should be avoided. And I, I'm, I'm also going to ask you why those areas. Yeah. Is it is it stock related? Uh, is it socioeconomic? I mean, what, what, you know, what, what's happening in those areas? Oh, very blanket conversation. So I'm probably spanning many, many postcodes here. Mm. Um, anything the bank doesn't like, I don't like. So when a bank applies a postcode restriction, it's for good reason. Oh, yes. Sometimes it's overexposure in a particular area. It might be a postcode restriction for units in a particular postcode. We saw that during um, or in recent years, not necessarily right now, but when we had too many apartments coming on stream. Mm-hmm. Um, also, they'll apply postcode restrictions to areas that are, are flood or fire ravaged. And, and that can be a really tough thing for a, a consumer who doesn't understand that when they purchase purchase property in the bank says no because of the postcode or they require a much um, lower LVR, so a higher deposit. They're the things to be mindful of. I also think in in our environment where we've got rising um, sea levels and and the risk of flooding, you've really got to do your homework with mm. with flood maps and with, as we say in Victoria, special building overlays. They're not necessarily an indication of flooding, but it's an inability of an area to, to deal with um, high uh, uh, rain deluge. Uh, yeah, sorry, Kate. Uh, are crime statistics something you take into account? Absolutely. But if you're looking at gentrifying suburbs, you also have to take that on board and yeah. be prepared mm-hmm. for it That's because true. a gentrifying suburb is something that go- transitions from an ugly duckling to a beautiful swan and it doesn't happen mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. If you wait for it to be a beautiful swan, then it's not it's a lucrative opportunity. That's right. Yeah, so crime is very important though and the rate of social change. If something doesn't have the growth drivers to change, to gentrify, and some areas don't and won't either forever or for a long time, 
and you've got to factor that in. Yeah, I guess looking at the quality of some of the infrastructure that goes into areas that could be ugly ducklings right now, um, yeah, that that's going to help help with that gentrification process. Even yeah. old wool stores and old buildings that are being renovated and brought back to life, if you can get it on the ground floor of some of those areas, they're well worth having a look at. Oh, they absolutely can, but people have to be um, very selective about zoning as well. Mm. I remember when our inner um, northern and western suburbs here were gentrifying and people loved the converted warehouses. If it's in an industrial zone, you might need a 40% deposit and have commercial loan rates over okay. a 15-year loan term. Yeah. So think carefully. Uh, biggest challenges ahead for the Melbourne property market? Wow. Look, I, th- I think we've weathered a lot of challenges, Kevin. It's been pretty awful. Mm. So I feel like once once our interest rate stabilises, we've probably got some some nicer days to look forward to. And I think the challenges right now across the board, but for Melbourne included, are, are for renters. That, that's a really tough thing for people to deal with if they're trying to find shelter. Mm. We've got a crazy number of, of people checking out properties over the weekend and you can sometimes see anything from you know 15 to 30 applications fielded on a one 15 minute wow. open for inspection it's brutal yeah uh, Kate's going to stay with us uh, because after this very short break and a very important message we're going to come back and we'll have a look at the regional tourist market and paint the contrast between the Cap City Melbourne and the regional areas and I, I certainly trust you're enjoying the show our guest is Kate Bacos who's a buyer's agent out of Melbourne if you are enjoying the show, please hit that like button as well as the subscribe button um, wherever you, whether you're listening or whether you're watching the show, doesn't matter. It goes out in audio as well as video. Uh, we're on a bit of a mission to actually get to a million subscribers and we're growing that way uh, much faster than what any of us thought. That's great. So we thank you for your support. For every new subscriber, we're out to save lives and we're going to donate a day's worth of life-saving water to families in Ethiopia. So please subscribe now. Uh, when you sign up and you get the show, uh, on uh, make sure you can do you, If you do it through realty.com.au on the homepage there, we'll also send you a free copy of uh, Bushy's award-winning book, Get Invested, just for making the effort. Thanks for being with us. Stay with us. There's more to come. Kate Bakos back in just a moment. Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Bushy Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. Know How has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less, and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Welcome back to the show. Our guest this week is Kate Bakos, who is a buyer's agent in Melbourne. We have, we've just had a look at the Melbourne market. We're going to have a look at the regional market. But, Kate, just before we go, can I just ask you, just jumping back into Victoria again, are there any surprises you've seen, anything that's sort of come out of the blue that, um, has surprised you a little bit about the Melbourne market in, in the last year or so? Yes, indeed, Kevin. That's a good question. Um, we you asked looking... me to ask it, so I'm, I'm asking. <laughs> I'm <planted> the question <laughs> and you asked me. Yeah. So we've had a, a sea of negative 
data and some of them, you know, very moderate price falls, yep. um, not colossal. But when we look at the data and it's broken up into SA3s, which is how our suburbs are collated into clusters, the one that was a really pleasant surprise and not a shock to me because I'm on, on the ground and feeling this was actually the performance of Melbourne CBD and Docklands and South Bank. They recorded plus 6.5% for the 12-year rolling average, which is no mean feat wow, when you consider that's pretty, everything. That's very high. It is, and it's yeah. it's quite a dramatic differential to every other SA3 in Melbourne. And the reason why um, that's performed so well is we've had a strong uptake in apartments in these locations, and that shouldn't come as a surprise. Bosses have called people back to work, whether it's hybrid or full-time mm. or mm. one day a week, whatever. Mm. And everyone that did the the tree change and the sea change, it's a long commute. And so for some, they've got their, their piece of paradise back in the city. It might just be a small one better or or they might have decided to transition back. But those areas have bounced back. So they really suffered during lockdown and we've seen a, a completely elastic reaction there. Wow, good. I'm glad you got me to ask that question. Okay, let's go into regional Victoria now. Com- compared to, say, Melbourne, the Melbourne market, uh, how do you subscribe, how do you describe, sorry, those regional Victorian markets? Well, they're a lot of fun to shop in, especially when you're getting a little bit further away from Melbourne. If we take Geelong as an example, that's the closest regional market. It's our second biggest city in Victoria. The Geelong agents run auction campaigns very similarly. And a lot of that is because they've had crossover in their places of work. Some of these agents have moved to Melbourne, started their career, gone back to Geelong to get married and have kids, um, or there's been integrated training. We've got a lot of agencies that are same in whether they're you know, spreading their offices across Melbourne and Geelong. Um, we see that Geelong is is very much in step with Melbourne. And in terms of um, price movements and buyer trends and seller trends, they're usually mirroring us or maybe a month or two um, behind us. And so you can get some leading indicators out of the Melbourne market and apply it to Geelong. But then you've got some really beautiful coastal areas and they're quite different still. Our regions came off after our capital city came off. So they they held firm for a little while there. Mm. But when we look at stock shortage... Why was that? Across... Did, have you got a view on why that happened? We still had people getting excited about moving to the regions. I think that the battle scars from lockdowns lasted mm. for a little while. We didn't oh, just yeah. come out of lockdown and say, yeah, we love the city. We're all a bit wounded for a while. And the fear of further lockdowns and, and you know decisions on how our government dealt with pandemic, I think that the fears were alive and well. And also people were embracing tree change and sea change because they've got friends that have done it. You know, you can you can catch that bug or catch that wave and we we absolutely saw that good schools, good hospitals, um, our major centres all have that. So I think the the mystery out of how do you make it work was was completely um, shown to people. There's no mystery; you can make it work. But also, working from home that's the big one. Bosses mm. are letting us work from home, even in a hybrid arrangement. So moving away from the city is very viable, and we've got really good transport links to Geelong in particular even though the trains are crowded, you can get to work pretty quickly. Just a bit broader than Geelong, uh, that move that you touched on earlier about people leaving the city and going living in regions, is that mm. still happening? Is that is that no. or has it slowed down a little bit? It's slowed down completely. I had a lot of inquiry okay, right. right through COVID. Yeah, I'm not getting requests for Warrnambool or Bright or Echuca or you know, even the popular areas. We, we had people targeting um, 
Castle Maine and um, Macedon Ranges and um, Bendigo Ballarat. It's it's eased up, and I chat to the the Ballarat agents. I'm active in that market as an advocate, and they're they're all saying that stock is so tight, prices have reasonably held up, but they haven't got the glut of buyers that they were experiencing, and it it got really heated and crazy in those markets during. Oh, after lockdown, but when people were still running away to to these locations, the agents were reporting that they had multiple offers on the day that the property was launched. Mm. And some of them couldn't even make it to the internet. The agents would tell a select number of buyers that had missed out on stuff, come to this listing, I'll, I'll get you through when the photographer's there. And they were fielding offers as people were walking out the door. So the photos weren't even on the net. It was tough. Yeah, in markets like that too, you see an influx of agents into the market because, well, let's face it, you know, properties almost sell themselves and it's it's pretty easy. Are we seeing uh, an oversupply of agents in some of these regional areas now or are they diminishing as well? I would argue that we have had more agents jump on board when the, the gravy train was running yeah. and I'm certainly seeing agents dropping off. We, yeah. we know that because we mm. send out emails um, to our, our agencies each week with our client briefs and the number of um, return emails that we're getting are, are quite significant. Yeah, I, I do know as an agent the best time to get into the market is when it's tough. That's when you'll that's when you'll learn some real good skills. But if you get in yes. a market that's moving fast, you, you really don't understand what it's like and then when it hits, and I'm seeing it now uh, in our marketplace here, uh, agents who have only just joined in the last couple of years, they had a they had a field day, and now they don't know what to do with stock that's on the market longer than ninety days. So, yeah. is it a different skill set? We're off topic. Sorry, let's get back to it. <laughs> um, wh- which of the the regional uh, Victorian markets that are standouts for you? Uh, you've already mentioned Geelong. Are there any others? We've we had some really standout results in our coastal markets, namely the Mornington Peninsula. The surf coast wasn't far behind it, and they are still standout. But you asked me in the last segment that we recorded if there were areas that I'd steer clear of, and I talked about things like um, rising sea levels and flood reports, etc., mm-hmm. and maybe mm-hmm. crime stats. But I'm also very, very, very wary of, of some of these coastal areas that attracted a lot of people during COVID. We had additional savings after COVID because we didn't spend, we were saving, we had really low interest rates, people went nuts and the prices were pushed up dramatically and these areas are the ones that absolutely outperformed. So if you look at all of the suburbs across Victoria, it's these coastal markets that that won the, the medals and I'm concerned that there will be some elasticity there but also I'm, I'm worried that that will be amplified by rising interest rates and people who are holding holiday houses saying to themselves well, things are a bit tight I've got to let something go you'll always be loath to let the family home go or to pull the kids out of private school so if there's anything that you can give up it's usually these you know extra okay. properties that yeah. yeah and that's my concern I'm not saying it will happen but I think people have to be very very careful about paying top dollar and using comparable sales from the good old days last year and the year prior when and our conditions are very, very different now. For those listening who, who don't have a beach house and maybe would like to buy one, there are obviously going to be some opportunities coming up if what you say does actually come to fruition. I believe it yeah. will, knowing your background and your knowledge. So what areas do you think people should be looking in if they you know, if they, if they want to hang out and maybe look at buying something in the next year or two? 
When it comes to finding a holiday house, you want to target where you'll be really happy. You don't want to just go where there'll be bargains. But I think those areas that weren't crazy during COVID are the ones Mm. that could come off. And namely the Mornington Peninsula, the Surf Coast, um, Phillip Island, there are opportunities there, but people also ran away to the Macedon Ranges as well. There's some really gorgeous holiday type places there that you could target. And and I think anything that's more than a 90 minute commute, you might find that we've got a wave of people that when they're called back to the office, hybrid or full time, they'll decide to exit out of those properties and come back to Melbourne. So I think there's opportunity. Well, I guess it depends what you're after, whether you want to get to, you know, one of those coastal areas, you want to get up into the mountains, but there's always, you know, a good lot of variety. I don't, I don't know where I'd, I, I think I've, uh, I enjoy the the coast, you know, because I still enjoy the, we do a lot of kayaking and fishing. So, you know, for me, that'd be my preference. Yeah, uh, beautiful. Well, you can target yeah. lakes as well. We've, we've got some really yeah. stunning holiday places around Victoria. Yeah. Um, Kate, are there any challenges specific to the to regional Victoria that that you think buyers should be aware of, or, or or what are you watching out for as a buyer's advocate? You always watch out for price elasticity. You don't want to go into an area that has been humming along at a rate of knots, and then your purchaser is is the one that experiences a deflating market. So that's the first thing that I'd talk about. And targeting... Sorry, can you just qualify elasticity for me for a minute? What what do you mean by that? Well, the prices went up during COVID because there was just such extensive buyer demand. And now that there's not that demand, we're, we're seeing prices come off. But to target an area that had really strong growth and to use um, a vendor's expected price as as an indicator for value is not the right thing to do. You've got to do your homework because vendors will always want what the the impressive results were. They'll they'll benchmark their expectation on recent sales that aren't all that recent. So you've got to do your homework. You don't want to pay a 2021 price in 2023. Mm. Let's talk about rentals for a moment. And we yeah. I we didn't talk about rentals in in Melbourne, but let's have an overall view of that now. How how tough is that rental market? Very tough for for renters. It's also, I I don't want to sound like like I'm being um, too soft on on landlords, but we've had some really tough reforms that have rolled out. And some some of the reforms involve additional expenses that can be really hefty in terms of electrical compliance and gas compliance. And all you need to do is pay you $400 for your, your compliance officer to come out and then they'll tell you that you need to spend 10000 to be compliant. That's a, a really expensive thing to go through. And as a result, what we're seeing is a lot of landlords that are sick of it and also landlords that are asset-rich, cash-flow poor who can't pay to have the property bought up to code. So we're losing a lot of rental stock. And we've also got an, an ageing population where baby boomers are looking at retirement and cashing out of investments for other reasons. Mm. But the long and short of it is we've had a, a deteriorating number of, of available rentals and our rents have gone up across the board, not just in Melbourne. The regions really copped it during um, COVID lockdown because people were running away and wanting to try before they buy. So it's it's been a double whammy. But our, our unit market, Kevin, is um, exhibiting rental increases of more than 15% for the last 12 months. So that that is indeed tough on, tough on renters. But we also have to put that in perspective. During COVID, you couldn't 
you couldn't give them away for twenty dollars a week. No one wanted to live in the city, so that was a bit of an exodus. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about COVID nineteen, and I ha- I haven't done it up to this point. We may have already covered, but I'll, I'll ask you anyway as to whether COVID nineteen uh, the, the the pandemic affected the regional Victorian market, say more so than um, Melbourne, because you yeah. think of regions and open air and fresh air and healthy. Um, did that yes. translate? You know what, I really thought it would. I thought Melbourne would exhibit the strongest regional price growth and it was actually segments of New South Wales and the right person to ask this to from an, a national point of view is Simon Presley. He's all all over it. But we did have enormous growth in our regions. We had enormous growth in, in our coastal areas as well, which you don't associate with regional cities. You more think of those as, as holiday lifestyle because work from home was was rampant in Melbourne. Mm. But if you look at the, the differentiation between the the Melbourne um, price movement and the regional, I think we have the biggest gap. But if, if you look at total performance, I think parts of New South Wales um, and Noosa, um, coastal Queensland, trumped us. Final question for you in this segment. Have you noticed any interesting property trends? You gave us one for, for um, Melbourne. Have you noticed any interesting property trends in regional Victoria recently? No, it's been a surprise that I haven't noticed a trend, to be honest. Mm. I thought that it might have all come off pretty quickly when Melbourne settled down, and happily it hasn't. But we've got a lot of investment, civil works and infrastructure upgrades, rail, road, and and people are responding to that. I still think that work from home as a, a newly accepted phenomenon that's here to stay certainly in in lots of different um types of of employment Mm. i think that will hold up the the local regions anyway the ones that are within 90 minutes drive i think that tends to be people's tolerance and anecdotally whenever i've chatted to anyone who wants to do the move they've all had that as their their time restriction for travel Mm. okay i'm going to give you a minute or two to reflect and and we're going to take a short commercial break, an important message. And when we come back, I, I want to ask you, I'm going to give you notice here. I, yeah. I want to ask you just to sum up for us the, you know, Melbourne and Victorian markets and, you know, give it to us in maybe 60 seconds or two minutes. So uh, yeah. so put your thinking cap on, stay with us. Uh, this is Realty Talk. My guest is Kate Bacos, and we're looking at the uh, Melbourne and Victorian markets. I'm Kevin Turner. We'll be back in just a moment. Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300-728-726 today for an obligation-free quote. Okay, Kate, you've had your minute or whatever it's been. Give us your words of wisdom to wrap us up on the Victorian and Melbourne markets. What's the future? Well, yeah, in a, in a nutshell, I think that our, our future looks good once interest rates stabilise. What I haven't talked about with you today, Kevin, is the difference between renovated and completely unrenovated yeah. properties. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, we've seen um, very little appetite for renovation projects or for developments, and we've had very um, 
significantly lower new builds. So the pressure on established property that's nicely presented and better yet recently renovated is enormous. I think that will continue to be a reigning trend. But I also think that we'll see first home buyers return with confidence when interest rates have stabilised and they've got clear visibility on, on their borrowing capacity because juggling interest rate changes on a monthly basis and not knowing when the lender is applying that to the servicing calculator has been the, the tough part for, for this contingent. That's my my thinking. I, I, interesting you're talking there about renovations and it, it just twigged then about the block. And I it's been going for how long have been going now? Like, you know, 20 years or I don't know, 15 years or something. But it went, remember when it first came out, they were, they were like so incredibly popular and they'd get massive, massive figures. And now yeah. nothing to see on the block where, you know, they just don't sell. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder about renovations, whether they've totally come off the boil. Yeah, to, to talk about um, renovations in general and not really the block per se, um, people know that we've got... Because that's not really renovation, is it? It's not real. It's not real life. You know, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's reality TV, but it's not real. Yeah. You've got other trades coming in um, and you've got to look at the location as well. It's, it's, there's no point just looking at, at the, the physical product itself. You've got to look at the land and, and all of its attributes. And we've had some quirky um, block locations. So I, I put that to one side, but just yeah, talk generally about renovation. Trades are expensive. Materials are expensive. Wait times are huge. And getting a rental while you renovate is much tougher and much more expensive. So we've got all of those things that are adding to to the cost of building. And people are just saying, yeah, nah. Okay, great talking to you. It always is. And, uh, you know, I want to get you into the show more regularly as we look at that in Melbourne. Mark, we're going to look at uh, Sydney next week and then Brisbane the week after, but I'll get you back as a regular guest to give us an insight into the Melbourne markets. Okay, thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. Great to see you. And we hope you've enjoyed the show. Listen, before I go, um, make sure that you don't miss any of the episodes of Realty Talk by subscribing to Property Hub, and you'll find that on your favourite podcast player. If you do it now, you'll also receive uh, a copy of Get Invested, the podcast delivered to you each and every week. That's once you do it through Property Hub, both shows will come your way. Thanks again to realty.com.au, BMT, Tax Depreciation, Apiro Marketing, uh, DM Media, and of course, Southern Cross Stereo for their ongoing support and helping us with distribution. Thanks also to Kate Bakos. I'm Kevin Turner. Thanks for being with us. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 